The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. The fragrance industry is bananas. Perfume began as essential oils and natural ingredients, but now it's mainly synthetic and petrochemical derived. Many of the biggest names, companies and sellers are more about chemicals and packaging than the scents. Frances Schumach, a Kiwi winemaker based in Amsterdam, found this when she was looking for a great natural perfume. Unable to find one that was contemporary and doing things in a better way, she set off on a mission to work with master perfumers and the best makers to make a luxurious natural range of perfumes with ethics and aesthetics to match. Francis founded Arbel and has grown it to be stocked in great stores in more than 30 countries. Now back in New Zealand, she's completed a significant capital round to further take her clean and beautiful perfumes to the world. To chat the journey, natural fragrance in an unnatural world, and growing global from Aotearoa, Francis Schumach joins us now. Tanakwe. Yeah, kia Simon. Hey, so thanks so much for being here this morning. Tell us how it is that you came to start a natural perfume brand in Amsterdam. Bit of a classic founder story that I was looking for something I couldn't find and um, was audacious enough to think that it might be something I could do. <laughs> um, so my husband and I, we moved to Amsterdam from Auckland about 12 or so years ago, um, just with backpacks really, got jobs up there um, and I quickly fell in love with the world of like indie perfume brands. So it was really just emerging at that time, um, but I was already a very natural conscious consumer consumer and so was kind of you know headed straight in that direction of oh cool where's the natural brand within this uh, and when I couldn't find one um, and my background was winemaking I figured that was kind of <laughs> enough enough armory to to go out there and try it myself so yeah that's that's so cool so you were a, a winemaker before that but did you did you try and find? Is there a wine scene in Amsterdam? Or yeah, um, do you know what? I so I studied viticulture enology straight from school, and then kind of cut my teeth in the wine industry here out of Auckland, um, and was actually ready to give that a bit of a break for a while. So part of the decision to move to Amsterdam was like, let's try something new. You know, you don't move to Amsterdam for the wine. It's <laughs> <laughs> you can buy a beer and like a hundred different glasses, and you ask for a wine, and they give you a cup, basically. So. And and in terms of like the link between wine and perfumery, like they're kind of the two areas in life where there's a language and a communication system around scent. And it's really funny, hey, how there's so many things to do with sound and sight that everyone kind of agrees on and shares. But then when it comes to smells, it's a bit of a mystery unless you're in those kind of worlds. Oh, it's a total mystery. And I'm this kind of bore um, championing 
our sense of smell because I think it's so underutilized in modern life. You know, I often use the example like when was the last time you smelt your milk or whatever to see if it was off rather than looking at the use by date. Like we just, we have this incredible organ. Um, a master perfumer can identify something like two and a half thousand individual smells. So we have this incredible capacity that just none of us use really. Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of a fear around getting it wrong with scent as well in a funny way. Like we spend so much time as people um, kind of pretending we're not animals is what I reckon because <laughs> I got really interested. <laughs> like we don't like dirty smells. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I got really interested in wine and perfume a few years ago and then like having to learn like what the smells are and like get the language around communicating it just showed me how little I, I kind of used it or went to it in day-to-day -day life and I ended up thinking that it had something to do with us trying to pretend that we're not these kind of sniffing beasts using scent yeah. as like a as a sense. That's so interesting because our sense of smell is really primal, you know, like it's the only um, sense that has a direct neural pathway to our subconscious. So it really is tapping into that kind of fight and flight mode. Um, and historically, that was how we used it. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I often get asked, like, what's the most um, kind of useful thing I took from the wine industry to the perfume industry? Because they are, <laughs> whatever I thought at the time, they are super different. Um, and I, I often reply with just that confidence to talk about smell. And I think um, we don't have a vocabulary for smell. We borrow most of our words from sight or food or, you know, so we kind of, um, people are just really unsure about even verbalising what they're smelling or whether they like something even. Yeah, and, and it's kind of um, euphemistic as well. Like I, remember I was working as a wine waiter and it was just magic when uh, winemakers would come in and they'd say, well, you know, this Viognier, um, you're going to smell apricots, but not any apricots. Canned apricots. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, yeah, and then you smell it and it would smell exactly like canned yeah. apricots. You'd be like, that's kind of magic, you know? Yeah, yeah. Power of suggestion probably a little bit there yeah, too. Yeah, probably but... <laughs> do. And then they'd say saddle and you're like, well, saddle. And then saddle was meaning kind of musky, like, yeah. you know, nether parts and leather. And you're like, oh gosh, <laughs> I guess that's what that means. <laughs> You've got a, a very visual. That's the thing I think quite often we rely on um, taking it away from smell and trying to make it tangible with some kind of visual reference. Yeah. And in terms of teaching yourself that vocabulary and that way to kind of get into perfume. How do you go about that? Because in Amsterdam, you're probably reasonably close to centres of um, perfume and, and history there. Yeah, the, yeah, the Dutch do a little bit. Um, I think in some ways it's a big similarity between perfume and wine is they really both have their, at least the, the way that we know it as modern kind of perfumery has its roots very entrenched in French and Italian culture so that's really kind of the home place of modern perfumery um, but I think the the big thing for me was recognizing so when I started out I got that whole oh you can't make natural perfume a whole bunch of reasons why um, and quickly realized that there was this a very negative attitude towards naturals in the industry um, so for me straight away that was like okay I need to I need to find this team of people to surround me with. I'm not an expert. I'm totally green when it comes to the perfume world. So for me, it was surrounding myself with people that I could bring into Arbel that know and understand and can kind of heighten, especially our master perfumers. That's That was kind of a key part. So I've kind of learned through osmosis, I think. Um, 
I could have, truth is I wanted to start a business. I didn't want to study perfumery. Um, so I've kind of learned as I've gone. Mm. And being able to kind of co-opt the reputation and experience of a master perfumer is better than spending like oh, yeah, 30, 30 years <laughs> getting yourself to kind of master perfumery yeah, or something. Totally, yeah, totally, totally. Also because, you know, I these days especially, I am a business owner, so the part of I love the perfume creation process you know asking in my team it's when I get super excited but it's actually such a small part of my day that had I have thrown all my time and energy into training to be a perfumer I <laughs> probably all of the other aspects the logistics the sales the you know um they're just as important what was the situation like when you you know you just mentioned that there was kind of a antipathy towards um antipathy towards natural perfume T tell me about that because yeah like from 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 small little journeys in perfume uh, <laughs> there was a very closed world that had a very kind of set way of doing things and all of it was kind of petrochemical and plastic based yeah totally i mean people don't realize it was perfume it's such a we talk about closed industries um perfume is perhaps the worst um and there's definitely still it's changing really quickly which is super exciting but there's definitely still a, a feeling of that like you know those 1950s 60s um chemicals solve everything <laughs> i can kind of you know like plastic is the new whatever um and so yeah i, I hazard a guess i always say 95 percent, but i think it's like 99.9 percent .9 of the ingredients used in the perfume world are synthesized from crude oil so you know it's an industry that runs off petrol basically um and so it is changing but um the it's such an entrenched industry and so established, so global, it takes time to move a big ship like that, right? So we're, um, you know, for decades, all of the R&D has been going into, you know, deriving new scent molecules from petrochemicals. Now we're shifting towards um, deriving those from um, renewable sources. Um, for us, we only work with ingredients from plants, um, but there's some really cool biotech, natural science stuff going on. Um, but yeah, I think... I can't remember your question now. No, you're, you're great. You're, you're great. Like, like. <laughs> Miles off track. But yes, I think there's too many big players um, with too much of a vested interest in the way that they currently do things. And it's cheap. Yeah, and they're massive chemical companies, the yes, big companies yeah. in, in the world of perfumery. And there was this massive headwind that was um, coming against naturals uh, when I was really looking into it um, in that... EU regulations were yeah. making it illegal to put plant-derived, you know, oils yeah. in perfumes that have been in them forever because, you know, a vanishingly small percentage of users might have allergic reactions. And so all of these great perfumes of history were being reformulated with synthetic uh, petrochemical-derived alternatives. Yeah, and that's that classic self-regulated industry, right? So globally, the the fragrance industry is self-regulated, and so you have to be shown to be doing something. Um, so you're talking about the the allergens um, regulations, which you know ex essentially they banned 26 ingredients, um, all natural, uh, because of them being potential allergens. Um, and so yeah, that was a really what was that like 10 years ago mm -hmm. or something maybe a bit longer um that was a really kind of backward trend and definitely slows up the development with naturals but i think um 
we've come past that, which is really nice. But you landed in those headwinds and, mm. you know, hit an industry that was like, no, everything's plastic and chemical and um, and, 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 and petrochemical uh, based. And, you know, we're actually banning a whole lot of natural oils. How did you go about getting it off the ground and getting it started with that focus on naturals? Uh, honestly, I just think uh, I, I believed in it and I just gave it a go. And it was really baby steps for the first um Especially the first couple of years, so I was out of our apartment in Amsterdam. I did have Isaac, our um, perfumer, on board, so that was kind of a key cog there. But um, I don't talk about it much, but when we first started out, I was so idealistic. Um, <laughs> we only used organically certified ingredients. And so if you look at the palette of perfume ingredients, there's something like 4,000. If you look at the palette of naturals, it's somewhere around 400. If you look at the palette of um, organically certified it's like 40 <laughs> so um, our first two perfumes we launched were actually 100% organically certified I think they're honestly the only two probably ever still um, commercially viable fragrances um, and yeah look uh, I don't know every, everybody has different ways of starting businesses or you know approaching business but for me at least it was like a just just try just get started um, and kind of improve from there. So when we relaunched the collection after a couple of years in business, that was when I made the move to like, okay, yeah, it's not scalable, it's not sustainable to, to work with only organic, organically certified ingredients and actually like the 99% of the industry is so far to one end and I'd positioned us so far to the other end, uh, kind of in a way we've had to come closer to the industry um, but yeah, that's uh, maybe if I came from the industry, I'd do things differently. But I was really learning, pushing, stepping sideways, you know, the whole time. So, and when did you know that this approach was starting to work? Like, you know, it's a really hard thing to kind of go against. <laughs> yeah, go against. The, yeah, you know, and especially when one's so kind of set and um, sure of itself. You know, probably conversations with people the whole way along. Like even what we had doing now and, you know, seeing what you know about it. Um, very early on, uh, our first account that we landed, um, the Skins Cosmetics um, in the Netherlands, they're kind of like a mecca equivalent, let's say. Um, and so they were our first wholesale account um, and for them to buy into it. You know, it was like, okay, cool. These guys know they've nurtured the top kind of skincare beauty brands. Um, and so little things like that the whole time. Um, press, you know, press getting on board. There were just always lots of positive signs um, that this is something that we can keep building. Um, but definitely the last couple of years, there's been a bit of a momentous shift, which is super exciting for us. Um, and if not mainstream, at least it's kind of, starting to come into the mainstream kind of cognitive yeah we're almost there and at what stage did you decamp from Amsterdam and come back to Wellington yeah um probably not the best business decision you know <laughs> I'm I'm a person so really lifestyle um my husband and I we had two children and a business um up in Amsterdam uh, he works full-time um, not for Abel, um, but it was really one of those. We'd actually come out to New Zealand um, in what were the Dutch summer holidays because our son Rufus was at school um, and in 
August and kind of landed back in Amsterdam September 2019 with that like middle of the night jet lag situation and then we just both after 10 years nearly looked at each other and were like okay yeah it's time <laughs> so I don't know I don't know if it was the school holidays the kids seeing them in New Zealand but it was very much like a family lifestyle choice to come home um, but I'd always set Abel up in a way that I knew that that was the end point you know it was always a question of when not if um, we'd move home so it was always important to me to set the business up that it could be kind of not virtual but we yeah it wouldn't be a huge shift to move it and we'll be back after the break to talk about growing global from New Zealand honing in on purpose capital raising and what's next Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. And we're back with Francis Schumach, founder of Arbel. So tell me, how do you go about making a perfume? Like if you decide, oh, I want to make one, what's the process? Yeah, so I can tell you about our process and I'd say it's very different, almost the opposite to to a lot of brands and certainly big brands where the process is very much like a creative industry pitch. So they'll put together a a pitch for this new perfume, 25-year-old woman, colour purple, whatever, um, and the perfumers will pitch uh, create perfumes based on that brief um, and then they kind of go from there and choose their favourite. Um, ours couldn't be yeah, more ground up <laughs> than I think it is. So uh, it always used to be that Isaac and I would get together in Paris. Um, he was there kind of four or five times a year. He's based in Sao Paulo. Um, and together we'd just get out a whole lot of ingredients um, in the lab and just look at them and yeah, whatever was really exciting us at the time um, and then kind of build a creative concept around that ingredient. So all of our perfumes start, uh, are a colour and an ingredient. Um, and so that's kind of forms the creative direction. I always make mood boards. Isaac's always laughing at it, like, get your mood board out. <laughs> 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 but it's generally a pretty fun process. Um, sometimes it can be extremely, you know, like any creative process, if we're kind of knocking heads or it's not working. With naturals, there's, I'd say there's a lot more challenges. You've just got less tools in your toolbox. You can't um, you can't cover anything up with naturals. Um 
But in general, yeah, we kind of work on the creative concept together um, and then our perfumer, so Isaac and also uh, Fanny is another perfumer. We work with a lot of French perfumer. Um, we'll kind of go back and over anything between six to 18 months. We'll do, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of trials. So we kind of uh, often it'll go through about seven or eight kind of rounds of directions and within that, you know, there'll be dozens of trials. So, yeah. And what are you looking for in that process? Is it just that kind of visceral, aha, like, is it? Is it yeah, that? sometimes, sometimes that happens. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, like with um, one of our perfumes, uh, Nurture with Fanny, um, we end up going back about three rounds. We're like, hang on, we had something we freaking loved like three months ago. Where is that one? And we went back to them and we're like, oh, that's the one, you know? So it's kind of interesting. It's definitely not a linear process. Um, I don't know if there's aha moments. Um, maybe occasionally. It also depends on the brief. So we've been doing a lot more in the last couple of years around like uh, the functionality of the, of the ingredients. So creating perfumes that are really about Obviously, the beauty of naturals that goes without saying, but also kind of nurture is a good example where um, we wanted to create a, a fragrance for new and expecting mothers. We wanted it to be pregnancy safe, breastfeeding safe, all of those things. So that's a slightly different process to just saying, hey, we freaking love vetiver. Let's create a perfume around it. Um, so yeah, it kind of goes project <laughs> which, by project. <laughs> which was which was my process. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, really I thought like I was saying that. It is really yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, at the yeah. time that was Isaac, he was mm. like, "It's my fetish." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 really special stuff. And like in terms of that um, natural oils as well, like when you're using the real oils, you've also got like you know, so many traditions of using these oils for certain yeah. reasons you can draw on, hey? Oh, so many. And it's so beautiful when the ingredients speak to that themselves. So, like, for example, golden neroli, uh, one of my personal favourites. I was pregnant when we were creating this fragrance and that was one where I was like I just really want to work with Neroli and Isaac was like it's a bit grandma isn't it and I was like no I just something about it is speaking to me you know can we create this really beautiful fragrance um, I don't want it to be edgy I don't want it I just want beautiful fragrance um, and then when we launched it we did like this little influencer event in Amsterdam and there were about five pregnant women at the event and all five of them were like what is this I want to bathe in this um and so then I went away and did the research and was like, oh, wow, Neroli has this incredibly rich history of hormone balancing, um, you know, during kind of hormonal stages for women. So that was a really cool example of we didn't start out with the intention, but it was this kind of innate capacity of the ingredients themselves. So, yeah, they're really beautiful. That's so cool. And that, you know, when you're talking about grandma there, like one <laughs> of the difficulties in perfume today, right, is that... So many things have a fragrance now yeah. that beautiful white flowers smell like toilets. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, just the most gorgeous things you can pick out of the garden. And then you try and put it into a perfume and it smells like your crazy auntie. Or, you know, like yeah. it's just it yeah. old-fashioned or whatever, you know. Like, yeah. um, no offence to any aunties out there. No, but and I, <laughs> Especially no, there's not nothing mine. wrong with aunties or I'm an auntie. Um, no, but I think you also touched it. I've said it a couple of times. I'll keep saying it till it becomes reality. But, like, I think um, those huge overt room smells and things like that, um, to me, they're like secondhand smoke. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, I don't want to be in a hotel that's like, you know, I don't know if you've had that, um, you know, situation where you stay in a hotel and like by the middle of the night, my he- I've got a headache because I'm like, this hotel stinks of their synthetic perfume that's pumping through the vats, you know. So I think um, that trend towards everything being scented is actually a little bit gross. We're all kind of suffocating in it. On your website, there's a great section about the things that you're doing and the journey you're on as a company to a greater kind of focus on sustainability. And so starting in the natural space that was already kind of, you know, almost by definition what you were doing. Like, like yeah. But then tell me about the growth of that journey. Yeah, look, um, we... Everything we do, we try to do as, you know, with as much respect for nature as we can, basically. The planet and the people kind of like us to be lumped together sometimes. Um, we're all we're all nature. Um, and so sometimes that's easy um, and sometimes that's super difficult. And uh, more often than not, there's compromises, you know. So you uh, using glass, for example, um, it's, you know, endlessly uh, recyclable, but it's heavy. So it's a heavy a carbon footprint so anyone that kind of talks to black and white sustainability stuff I just think they're they're minimizing a really big topic um so for us obviously the ingredients are really key um a lot of the petrochemical derivatives are obviously not renewable um but also not biodegradable they end up um you know, washing off our bodies in the shower and ending up in our oceans um, where they accumulate just like the nanoplastics. Um, so, yeah, so the ingredients are a big one for us. Um, but you, and with, You're making, you're leaving your own little oil slick in the world. Yeah, gross, yeah, right? gross. Yeah, yeah. And I, we don't talk about it a lot. I think um, sunscreen, like rightly so, has started to get a little bit of a presence around that. We know the damage it's doing. To the reefs, um, Greenpeace did uh, a really nice bit of research quite a few years ago now, five or eight years ago, um, around yeah synthetic musk building up in the aquatic life. So then basically we're eating, you know, it's washing <laughs> off us, it's going into our fish, and then we're eating it. Um, and there's probably a really good reason you'd make musk synthetically, considering it was originally made out of the secretions of deer anus. <laughs> Oh, you're, you're, you're mixing your mixing metaphors, my, mixing my metaphors there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's cat anus. Cat anus, really? <laughs> cat anus is civet, right. um, and musk is um, the glands of the male deer. So you're on the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's there or thereabouts. But um, yeah, but the cool thing is, so for us, like when I first started out, there was no plant derived musk equivalent. Um, so in our first two perfumes, we we didn't use musk. Um, and if I quote Isaac, our perfume. He would say that cooking without, uh, sorry, making perfumes without musk is akin to cooking without butter. You know, obviously you can do it, but the point is that uh, butter helps to open up all of the flavors um, in a meal, in a dish, uh, and musk has the same impact on a perfume. So for our first couple of perfumes, there was no plant-derived alternative, um, but the way that natural science is going is is awesome for us. So we use a plant-derived musk that um, is produced through like a biofermentation um, process, uh, and that means that we can get the musk without the the deer or mm-hmm. the synthetics. So yeah, yeah, that's magic. And and in terms of um, you, you know, being more sustainable, you share a story on that page about your cellophane journey 
and trying to make a cellophane that was better than cellophane. Tell us, tell us what cellophane's used for and why you tried to do that and how it went. Yeah, so we wrap um, all of all of the perfume we produce in the Netherlands. Um, so we still produce about 90% of our perfume um, in Holland. We have started producing our first New Zealand-made line in our little fabric, our little perfumery in Wellington, um, which we don't cellophane. Um, but the ones that we produce in Amsterdam, the packaging is designed in a way that it really needs cellophane. Um, and unfortunately, it's changing really quickly. So this is cool. Like we're on the cusp of um, customers. When we launched that packaging, um, customers still wanted the luxury. You know, they didn't want to cust- uh, compromise on any of the luxury um, in, t- in getting sustainability. So we've done things like bio. Ca- bioplastic caps that, you know, people probably don't even know that they're bioplastic, but they are, uh, but they're magnetic and they feel luxury. Um, And so we needed to do cellophane with this packaging. Um, We will be switching that out um, in the coming years, but it needs to be redesigned. Um, But to your question, yeah, look, I I hated the fact that we were using cellophane. So it was the first time we were using cellophane. um, And in an ideal world, we wouldn't use an ounce of plastic in our whole process. Um, But it was a requirement from um, a bunch of our retail partners. Uh, And so we used it. And my my kind of remit was, okay, cool, we use it. We find a a bio-cellophane equivalent um, and, and switch it out. So my kind of process is let's just keep improving all the time. Um, And so we found this bioplastic cellophane. uh, We found a partner who would use it for us. It had to be done manually. It couldn't be done with a machine. So it was this whole big, you know, process. We had to buy a lot of it. Um, We had to, nobody would kind of insure it or, you know, there was no guarantee on it. Um, But I really believed in it probably bullishly and was like, no, we have to, this is the right direction for Arvo. So we introduced this biocellophane and I think it was within three or four months, you probably know if you've just read the journal article, uh, we had to recall it. because it was just starting to uh, fall apart at the corners. Um, We were ending up taking shipments back from partners, which, you know, again, it's that, like, grey area with sustainability. Okay, it's not plastic, but if we're shipping it to you in America and you're shipping it back to us in Europe, (laughs) that's no longer sustainable. So it was one of those, like, you know shit, we have to, you know, we have, I have to go back on my word. Um, and I'd done the whole fanfare around like, yeah, we're getting rid of our cellophane. And then I had to do the, ah, we're switching back to plastic. Um, but I have to say that I think it probably still is one of our like most engaged um Pieces of communication with our audience. You know, we got so many amazing emails from customers. Um wasn't the intention, but we even got quite a bit of press off the back of it where they were like, you know, Abel is admitting <laughs> where they're wrong and being honest about it. Like to me, I was like, of course we'd be honest about that. But apparently that's not a given. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and like, I, I love that because it is so hard to try things that people wouldn't even know were a basic. So, you know, if you have a perfume, um, no department stores will accept it unless it's perfectly wrapped in cellophane. And that cellophane is a bunch of plastic that you don't want. And then it costs heaps to put it on, especially, you know, if you're making small volumes. And that that cellophane, when when we tried to wrap it, that 
process added about 20 bucks to the RRP, which is wild. And so you're putting all of this different uh, Imagine uh, telling that to your customer, like, hey, 20 bucks of your purchase price is cellophane yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that you, you don't want. That you immediately <laughs> throw out. Yeah. And it's like never recycled. You know, it's an yeah. absolute disaster. But there was no way no way out of that kind of um, no, thing. No, so and so look, even to, to and, the point yeah. where like stores would cellophane it for you if you were going to refuse, which then you've got no control over the process. Yeah, yeah, but by telling that story and starting to educate people, then maybe people will be, you know, okay to get a box that might have a slight smudge on it. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> that's I what think sustainability so. means, you yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> and I think we are hitting that to, to the earlier point. Like, I think we're hitting that tipping point now, where actually people go, okay, cool. Maybe it's not quite as luxury, but maybe it shouldn't be quite as luxury. You know, maybe I don't want three pieces of wrapping, and yeah, so. We will redesign the packaging. It's, it's currently kind of in the R&D innovation stage for us. Um, but I really want to do it in a meaningful way, you know. And, for example, our our little um, Parfum XJ line, they are refillable. So they're refillable in Wellington. Um, but 85% of our market is international. So then you go, how meaningful is it to offer refills if it's in Wellington, you know. So when we redesign it, it has to be in a way that it makes sense. To the consumer, and I think, you know, without offending anyone, consumers are kind of inherently lazy. You know, if it's if it's not something I can just deal with it in my normal recycling kind of environment, I'm probably not going to do anything. Yeah, ha- hassle and inertia are really big forces yeah. to get around, eh? Like it's, <laughs> oh, and I'm the same, really by the hard. way. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not pointing finger. Oh, but, yeah, no, we, yeah. we all are. Like, um, you know... Uh, with with my pet food, <laughs> all of my principles of life go out the window because yeah. we use the foil things. And I was just yeah. thinking about it the other day, and they're completely unrecyclable. And we only this use those because you know it's a little bit nicer of an experience. Yeah. And then you realise, well, you're just making this enormous waste pile behind you. You know, so yeah. even when you think you're kind of on the right track with a lot of stuff, and you're you're thinking about the stuff, and then you go, oh, well, that's right, I'm just ignoring. Not totally. Shit, which is just yeah. because of hassle. And then in terms of um. The capital raise you've just done, that's so exciting and a huge raise for, you know, a brand-led um, business out of New Zealand selling to the world with something cool and like, you know, this emerging natural perfume space. Tell me about that raise and what that allows you to do and how you can grow the mission. Yeah, it's. It's. I agree. I'm really excited about it. Um, so... Back in January, I had the conversation with my management team, um, who are kind of based, one's in Boston, one's in Amsterdam, um, and then in New Zealand. Um, like, do we want to raise funds? Do we want to continue to grow in this kind of organic trajectory, kind of bootstrapping self-funding? Um, or do we want to be ambitious, basically? Um, and the overarching response from them and me, I kind of put it to them knowing where my mind was at, was that we we owe it to ourselves to be ambitious. We've got such a cool product. We know the market's there. Um, the wave's just coming. And that was kind of, you know, our sales manager up in Boston was like, I don't want some other brand to, like, lead this category. <laughs> like, screw it. We've been here from the start, you know. Like, we, we want to lead this category, and it's just really starting to emerge. So um, that was kind of the decision to go for the funding. Um, we, at the same time, made the decision to take our U.S. market, which is our biggest market, um, wholesale. So we were working with um, a distributor up there. Um, but by taking it wholesale, we can really control um, – 
control more of that journey to the customer, um, also more D2C potential. Um, so really cool opportunity up there. Um, and the funding will allow us to, yeah, add boots on the ground, um, start investing in brand building. You know, you, I was up there uh, no, six weeks ago. You realise when you're in America how big America is. <laughs> You know, uh, sounds silly or obvious, but from here you can kind of forget and then you get up there and you're like, fuck, LA's huge, <laughs> you know, and when we talk about the US, you know, we've kind of identified, I mean, New York, California are our two biggest opportunities and a couple more cities, but um, even, you know, just, just focusing on that's more than we can kind of handle. So we've got really, really cool plans. Um, Maker Capital, who we're partnering with, are awesome. I'm just super thrilled to have such a cool strategic partner. Um, they're a bunch of Kiwis, but they're based across New Zealand, Melbourne and the US. Um, and so to have that kind of in-market strategic support as well is um, incredible. Um, and they share our values. So they're very much like an impact product led um, fund uh, and so already you know we've had our first kind of board meetings and things like that already the strategic value of having these incredible brains in the business I'm really excited by yeah they're great they, they are in a couple of great companies that do kind of accessible approachable sustainable better choices yeah. uh, like no issue and composter yeah and exactly great great, great big bunch of people yeah yeah, yeah that's also and and like, what would your advice be for someone who maybe does see an industry and go, why isn't there a better choice? And then yeah. runs into kind of um, these these kind of headwinds. Um, what would your advice be to them? I think just start and look, other, someone else will give you the advice, like make sure you've got your five-year business plan. <laughs> My advice would be just to get started, um, but to make sure you have a really clear North Star. Why are you doing this? Um, if you are going to be, you know, it's been kind of 10 years of Arbel for me, you're going to be telling the story over and over again. Um, you're going to be, you know, the biggest advocate for your brand. You've got to really believe in what you're doing. So to me, that would be like, get super clear on what you want to do and why, and then just start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> start and, and sorry I'm like listening to there'll be other people listening to this like terrible advice no it's great advice it's great advice yeah start and keep going <laughs> totally start and keep going yeah. like I often get asked like what's the biggest challenge I'm like just that the challenges are relentless, you know, and they don't, they just morph all the time and you get bigger and you solve one problem and you're like, oh shit, I didn't even see this whole thing developing over there, you know, so I think you just, um, and embrace problem solving, maybe that's a good tip, mm -hmm. you know, like if you see the, if you find the joy in solving the problems, then the problems become kind of fun. Mm. If you let each problem arise, kind of bowl you over, then you're not going to get very far. And as a final thought, what will success be for you and for the business? Yeah, um, for the business, we're setting these kind of cool lofty goals of like, you know, being the leaders in natural perfume globally. Um, so that's really our remit as a business, our North Star. Um, for me personally, I think it will be doing that in a way that um, my uh, marriage and family flourishes. So I think that's always as like a, 
uh, a businesswoman who cares about my life as well. That's kind of, you know, those two things need to happen kind of symbiotically. Um, and that I can do it in a way where um, I can encourage some people to come up underneath me as well. I think that's really, especially as a woman in business, I think things are changing, but it's still harder and it's still, you know, there's just a few more hurdles to overcome. Perhaps the biggest hurdle being our own um, fears and, you know, like not feeling like we can think big. So, yeah, personally, I'd really love to start um, nurturing that next generation of woman in business yeah wonderful well i can't wait to see where you take it next thank and thank you. you so much for sharing your story today that's francis schumack founder of avo thanks so thank you to francis to you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen like our producer Hey Butler. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Enohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.